We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop podcast. After several, several weeks away, some of us even spending those at sea, the Brew Hoop podcast crew has returned. Kyle Carr, Riley Feldman are joining me, Adam Paris, here to bring you all of the hot gossip about the Bucks offseason that is well underway after we all tragically had to watch the Toronto Raptors uh, go on to defeat the Golden State Warriors, lick our wounds as Bucks fans and try and pick up the pieces of what happened. But it seems like the corner has finally been turned. The next season is about to get going here. And uh, before we get in and start talking about the uh, incredible, riveting, just deliriously fun draft night for the Milwaukee Bucks, Kyle, I want to hear a little bit about your trip that you just took to Alaska. As I said, you're at sea, and I've never been there, and I'm genuinely curious about how fun it was. Yeah, first of all, I didn't watch any one second of the NBA Finals, which I couldn't bring myself to do because I was so emotionally <laughs> scarred. So that was the best decision I made. Um, otherwise, the Alaskan cruise was nice. We spent it three days, and one city was Ketchikan, which is the salmon capital of the world. And it lived up to the hype. All the salmon mm. was possible. It was delicious. Then we went to Juno for whale watching. Uh, my wife and I did that. She's a big fan of whale watching. We saw five uh, humpback whales including one of them being like a baby humpback, which was really, really cool. I guess it's only been, there's only been like two or three that have been seen in the last couple of years. But the spot that we went to, it was funny when we went and signed up, they said, yeah, if you don't see a whale, you will get your money back guaranteed. I was like, okay, cool. So worst case scenario, I just get my money back. And within the first minute, there's just like a humpback whale and you saw its fin. I was like, well, okay. They really live up to that expectation. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> and then- I have to- Wait, I have two questions real quick. One, do you think Juno could support an NBA team? Two, do you did you hear the humpback whales yell fear the deer in humpback whale <laughs> noise? Like, do you think did you see any of that going on while you were there? I don't think they shouted fear the deer, but they definitely when they were taking a breath, you could see in the mist bucks and six. So that <laughs> can't confirm. <laughs> I don't know if Juno can support a basketball team. It's <laughs> I, I don't know, maybe a G League team at best, but a lot of the port cities, it was just like a six block radius of the downtown. And then after that, you were just in some kind of national forest, basically. But the third, third city was Skagway, which is as old 1900 gold mining city as you can picture. Um, I'm just surprised there wasn't like some dude wearing like a cowboy outfit playing like a banjo or something outside. But those are all nice. And then we went to Victoria, Canada the last day. And that was, it was weird going to like a civilized city. It, it was odd. I, that blew my mind, but it was all good. Um, enjoyed it. Had way too much buffet, uh, regular style cafeteria food. So I got sick of that and I'm happy to be back on land. So good week, good relaxing week. If you are someone that likes fishing or hiking, Alaska is the place for you. Riley, I'm curious, give us your highlight from these past weeks where we haven't potted uh, main highlight. And I'm curious how much of the finals you watched. Okay, so 
I think I watched maybe 30 seconds tops and that's because I was just surfing through channels and ABC happened to come up while I was clicking through. Uh, so I didn't watch pretty much a second of it, which is fine. It's not because I felt jaded or anything, but it just had zero interest after you losing the finals to one of the teams. And then highlight of the week or of the week since, uh, man, I got some books from the library, which was cool. Uh, otherwise, I haven't really done much, to be honest. We went back home, went back to the Milwaukee area for a weekend to see family. So that was cool. And then uh, beyond that, just kind of been chilling out, which is useful after the long NBA season and all we dedicate to it and, you know, watching every single game. So not a whole lot, but that's a highlight in its own right. That's wonderful. I I couldn't bring myself to watch the finals. And then I watched, I had a buddy in town who wanted to watch the last quarter of game five. So I watched that. And then I watched almost all of game six. And it felt good because I, the other part that I and I love obviously we all love basketball, but all of like the bad the basketball pods that I would normally listen to, I just was avoiding, and I was kind yes. of running out of stuff to listen to. So that was like the other um, <clears throat> other issue with me not watching any of it. So I was kind of glad I ripped the bandaid off because for me it was just like I couldn't bring myself to watch. I just felt like sick to my stomach seeing the Raptors doing what they were doing to the Warriors after what happened to the Bucks. Yeah, um, I completely just went into full soccer mode the second the Bucks lost. So it's been fantastic. Yeah. So so that was nice to kind of but to to have the break from basketball now has been nice. I went camping, so I like got away from everything, which was which was pretty fun. I'm a terrible terrible camper. My fiance does everything. Um, so she, she, as, as we were arriving, she was like, all right, well, there are two things we need to do. Um, we need to get the fire ready and set up the tent. And I was like, all right, I think I can do the tent. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to make you do that. And hopefully it won't go poorly. Um, so then she got the fire ready. And then by the time it was ready, I hadn't even set the tent up yet. She came over and got that done too. So she was um, like, Adam, uh, you're supposed to use the bug spray on your skin. Don't spray it right in your mouth, please. <laughs> Like that's not how you're supposed to use that. Oh goodness, yeah. Uh, so, well, at least I, that was a that was a nice foray into the wilderness. And let's start to make our way back to the uh, Bucks civilization and, and Buck speak here as we talk about what's been happening in the in the weeks, and then give a little prim, primer of the uh, week ahead as free agency is is right around the corner. So, obviously, the Bucks only had the 30th pick going into this year's draft. We all knew that. Uh, there was we were, a lot of talk for weeks that there might be the possibility that John Horst would end up trading the pick. And lo and behold, he did ship it out the 30th selection in the draft and, and Tony Snell over to the Detroit Pistons for Bucks legend, Badger legend, John Luer, and the amazing versatility in his game that comes with it. Uh, but obviously, I think we all know that the main reason they're doing this is to try and free up some cap space for free agency. So... Ooh, just to talk about the specifics before I ship it over to you guys to get your thoughts on the deal. Uh, you know, the Bucks are had about, this will free up a lot, about 2.2 million more in space with the difference between Tony Snell's salary and John Lures, who of course is only under contract for um, this, this impending season. And so the Bucks would have around 12.2 or like 12.6 million or so in space. If they wind up waving and stretching John Lures, his salary will become around 3.2 million annually for the next three years so they'd wind up freeing up about six more in space this year but uh, obviously they would have him on the books for the next couple of years and with uh, larry sanders still on there and i think spencer hawes finally comes off um, this year 
Uh, we've had a couple candidates who have already been stretched and are eating up dead money on a, for a team that's getting real, real close to the luxury tax likely after this offseason. So, Riley, what were some of your initial thoughts when uh, the trade went through, uh, just in terms of, um, you know, if you thought it was if you thought it was savvy of Horst, if you thought it just felt like a necessary evil, what, what were some of your initial impressions? A little bit of both, and I'd say the one thing that really jumped out is I definitely thought of because the news had been that either Snell or Urson were getting shipped out or they were, you know, that's who they were shopping. So I thought for sure it would be Urson just because like, as we all know, Tony is prone to having a lot of like no show games. Maybe he's not no show in terms of like plus minus, but it's just a lot of like 10, 15 minute appearances with zero points, zero rebounds, zero assists, zero shots, like, you know, the typical Tony Snell game and he's, you know, got paid, I think it's three, it was like 10 million, right? Just what he was due this Give upcoming season. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was like, you know, two years and next year was, you know, partially guaranteed for Ursan. So I thought for sure Ursan would be a more enticing, you know, option and maybe the Bucks were, were more willing to get rid of Snell. But I think savvy and I wasn't too upset with the fact that that 30th pick got turned into a bunch of second rounders and some cash the next nights or on draft night itself between the Pistons and the Cavaliers. Um, but you're right that it's just kind of expected that somebody was going to end up being a casualty, um, whether that be any of the free agents trying to bring them back like priority wise or, you know, Ursan or Snell just to make more room. And so I would give the, if I was to grade the trade, probably like, a B, B plus just because it gives Horst more flexibility to be able to bring back the core of the team. And there's no real way for us to get an idea of how impactful this trade will be until once free agency opens and we see who comes back and at what dollar amount, because really everything is going to revolve around that, in my opinion. Yeah, Kyle, one of the things that was interesting about this is uh, there's certainly been some chatter about the fact that it seems like we essentially traded Tony Snell at the the nadir of his value, the lowest point he you can sort of imagine for his value coming off a of postseason where he came he was injured, didn't really play, uh, and and sort of any sort of benefit that you might be able to pull out of him when when talking to another team was was essentially uh, muted. Uh, so, what did you think about that? Just the decision to move on from from Tony Snell, uh, especially at this point. Yeah, I guess it was a little odd, but at the same time, it made sense because Budenholzer is looking for players that can pass, dribble, and shoot, and the only one that Tony Snell has can really do well is shoot. He shot 39%, which was one of its lower uh, shooting percentages from three. So if there was going to be someone, I'd rather have been Urson just because you have Giannis at the four and kind of blocks DJ Wilson and, you know, having him develop more would have been ideal. But at the same time, this was something you needed to do if you want to keep that core that was two games away from playing in the NBA Finals. If you're able to bring back Brogdon and Lopez and Middleton, and still somehow stay under that tax line, that'd be great. But at the same time, this is kind of what happens when you make these signings on your own free agents, or in case of Urza, just any free agent. When you do that, when someone that's not a max player right at 1201, uh, these deals are what kind of hurt the Bucks. The Tony Snell signing wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Same with the Urza, but it's those margins that, yeah, you're going to save yourself a couple million, if you keep John Moore and if you stretch him, then it, I think increases to even more to closer to six. But the continuation of stretching players is re- going to hurt Milwaukee more in the long run. But again, if they keep the core in that core, gets to the finals and wins a championship, it all doesn't matter. So it's going to be something to evaluate. And I don't know 
it, whether the team is confident Dante DiVincenzo and Sterling Brown and Pat Connaughton can fill in for those minutes for Tony Snell, which they did during that playoff run, especially near the end of the season when he got hurt. So maybe that was also reason why they figured they can part ways with him more than Ursan. But I, I think there's still another move up horse's sleeve in trading someone else. I don't know if it's going to be Ursan, but I just feel like there's still another move that he still has to make. Yeah. Well, and to kind of oh, quick, ahead. just to follow on about the point about, you know, trading Tony at his lowest value, like he's been at pretty much the same, in my opinion, like we all like him. We all thought he was valuable, like a 40% three point shooter. Unfortunately, he didn't take it nearly at the foul and we would like, but just kind of like from the moment he signed that contract, he's been at the same low value, both within the team and outside, just because he's an expensive role player. Who's like, you know, maybe if he was given the opportunity, he'd, you know, be able to contribute a lot more, but I don't think it would have served the Bucks well to like hold on to him for a couple more months to see whether or not he would be able to up his value just because he's still got two years on the contract. It's not like an expiring or anything. And even though he featured in 70 plus games last year, we saw that his minutes dropped. And, you know, if Dante was available, like you're saying, Kyle, if Dante, Pat and Sterling are available, I think it's reasonable to expect all those guys to get minutes first. So um, I, I wouldn't have been a proponent of holding on to him just to see if his value would have gotten better. I think, it, you know, it, not sure it could sink any lower, but I, I doubt there would be an opportunity to maximize that asset any further than they did. Yeah, I think I think you make an interesting point about you would have sort of preferred Ursan to try and free up um, some potential forward space, Kyle. I, I, I guess I'm I'm okay with them trading Snell because uh, he seemed, at least out of the two of them, probably definitely the harder contract to move given that Ursan has that non-guarantee um, after this coming next season. So basically if the, this is probably the first round pick the Bucks had this year, you know, I mean, it's the 30th pick, but it still has like a slight bit of cachet as a first round pick is probably one of the few assets that Horst even had left that he could try and offload um, a contract like that with. So I, I could see another team, honestly, just like taking, given how he played last year, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think 7 million for an expiring contract like Ursan who could, could contribute to a team is, is egregious. I could see another team taking him without having to add a whole lot of sweetener. Uh, maybe I'm just drinking the Ursan juice, but uh, it, it, I guess the other thing it does do is that the Bucks won't have to have a first round picks contract on the books either. So that frees up a little more wiggle room as well, clearly positioning themselves as well as they can heading into free agency next week, which we'll, we'll touch on soon. But I know you couldn't watch the draft, Kyle, but I know for me, Riley, with the even just with the the draft night trade already done, uh, and the fact that the Bucks didn't have any picks, I found draft night to be an absolute snooze for uh, as a, a relative uh, impartial viewer, given that the Bucks didn't have any picks to go. Yeah, it's like. You know, I like the draft just because it's kind of a cool excuse, especially in years past when the Bucks would be in the lottery. You'd be like, oh, we we haven't had to really talk about basketball in like a really long time. Um, so you would have reason to be excited. And my brother and I would usually go out and we would watch the draft somewhere like, you know, your local neighborhood beat ups or whatever trashy bar place you can imagine we went to. Um, and I agree that it didn't really have much, especially because we knew kind of going in, it was unlikely they were going to get a first round pick. And then once you start getting into the second round picks, you're like, okay, maybe they could buy in. But even if they do, it's probably going to be in the forties or fifties. And, you know, we've seen in the past that Horst and the bucks in general have been right on top of getting undrafted free agents, kind of scooping them up. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, knowing ahead of time that there was no possibility of that 30th pick or any pick really realistically coming to the team uh, definitely you know, deflated the draft uh, extravaganza, in my opinion. But, you know, 
still interesting to follow just because there's a lot of different moving parts around the league that kind of get figured out on draft night and in the immediate aftermath. Yeah, I guess it is something we'll have to get used to, Kyle, given that the Bucks next year, they're out their second round pick. First round pick is going to convey to, I guess, who got that one now? The Celtics, I guess, have their 2020 yeah, pick. Phoenix, Phoenix moved it to Boston, I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then we're out our second round pick in 2021. So this, I guess the uh, the draft night won't be the most exciting part of the Bucks offseason for a few years. True, but then again, the Bucks making deep runs in the playoffs kind of makes up for it. Yes. <laughs> and that's what makes me feel better. Were you guys um, just kind of following up on that secondary trade that the Pistons made to the Cavaliers? Would you have been at it? I would have to pull up the exact how many picks got swapped between the two. Um, but would you have preferred something like that, like a whole bevy of future seconds and some cash instead of having to offload Snell's money? Like, I think that would, I understand why people would like to have that just because you get more draft assets and you can either get cheap guys or kind of combine those for other better picks or other better, you know, trade opportunities. But I think how you were saying earlier, Adam, is kind of a necessary evil. But did you, what did you guys make of that trade, if anything? Um, I, I guess, I guess for me, it's like, I, I don't care about like a a, ba- for a bag of like, I don't care about like a bag of like four junky picks that might be in the future. And yeah, we could potentially use them at the trade deadline to pick up new pieces. But like, I think it's going to be really hard for this team to add a whole lot of people. And I think it's more worthwhile to have um, try and get your ducks in a row in free agency uh, and just bring this, bring the whole gang back then, then worry about some of those type of assets. And I mean, who knows? Horst has been pretty savvy uh, at least mid-season, trying to pick up some random assets for uh, from other teams. You know, even if we are going to be pretty cap-strapped for the next few years, he did good work extrapolating value out of the the Wizards last year. So I guess I'm going to try to put my trust and faith in him that he might be able to find some of those moves on the margins that gives the Bucks a few more marginal assets to work with. Yeah, I guess there's, yeah, with the being second-round picks, you know, there is the Malcolm Brogdon or Sterling Brown where they turn out to be good rotation players or starting level players. But most of the time, they're going to be guys that are at the end of the bench or don't really have a sustained career or get a second or third contract. So putting a couple of those together to get off the dead money would be preferred compared to a first round pick. But obviously, a first round pick is going to be way more valuable than, you know, four second round picks, which Cleveland did. And some teams just want to collect on those draft assets so then they can flip those for other draft assets or another player and put that as part of a salary dump. So it's, I'd rather do the four first second round picks, but at the same time, it wasn't, it didn't hurt seeing those kind of trades happen. I agree. Okay. Just wanted to get your thoughts on it. That's all. All right. Any other, do you guys have any other draft night takes? I didn't, were you, was anyone else, was anyone here perturbed that the bucks didn't like try and buy a pick in the second round or something or try and move back in. Not really. I mean, I'm always upset when that doesn't happen just because we got billionaire owners with a B they are super rich, but <laughs> I, I kind of go at it from the perspective of like, you know, usually the teams who are selling it, you're in the fifties at that point. And unless you're in love with the guy, you're probably not feel that much, you don't feel that much emphasis to go after it. And then the other end of it is you have to find a team who's willing to sell and, once you start getting down there that you kind of getting into a lot of other quote unquote competing teams who might have different rationales for why they'd want to keep like a super cheap second round pick or take a chance or whatever the idea is. So um wasn't super duper 
upset about the fact that they didn't get back in, but there wasn't like any sort of scuttle at all. So there must be whoever they pick up as undrafted free agents or they had targets after the fact that they felt comfortable passing on. So not upset would be cool if they had it, but no big deal. Yeah, I guess I'm sure they tried purchasing a second round pick, but after the Chicago Bulls sold their pick to the Golden State Warriors for Jordan Bell, I think all the other teams looked at it and like, okay, we don't want to be that team again. Like we don't want to be the next Chicago Bulls. So maybe they teams are just more reluctant to sell them now. But it's if they had done it, cool. But if they didn't, I understand. And you, half of those guys, like Riley said, you can just get as undrafted free agents. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, let's move on to um, speaking of free agents. Let's move on to a brief free agency primer. I'm not sure how much time I really want to spend on this, given the fact that we'll have answers probably within a week here uh, for our next pod. But before we break down and talk a little bit about some of the news that came out this, um, not like huge news, but you know, stuff that came out this past week, just that other uh, national writers have written about the Bucks impending free agency. I wanted to get your guys' feel, so starting with you, Riley. Just talking about the the five main free agent guys, so Chris Middleton, Malcolm Brogdon, Brooke Lopez, Nikola Mirotic, and George Hill. How would you rank those guys in terms of your priority um, for who the Bucks should be bringing back? Like you're talking just like if if all the cap imp- implications and contracts were aside, just like who should be the top targets? Yeah, like, yeah, know. yeah. Man, I, I think I would still probably go Chris number one. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that obviously upsets a lot of people and I get it, but I, I tend to lean towards the camp of like perfect secondary guy to go with Giannis. After that, it might be Brooke. I feel like, and it may, maybe this is sacrilege to say, but it almost feels like we're going into like the exact extreme opposite for Brooke Lopez. Like, you know, if the bucks were able to, or if they had the cap space, it feels like people would be willing to give them the max. And like, obviously he was really important to what the bucks did on both ends. And it's tough to find a guy who can replicate that. But, um, I just, I feel like his value might be a little overinflated right now. So I would probably put him second, but it would be like a two a with Malcolm as the two B right there. Just cause I think this next contract, um, health issues aside, you kind of go Malcolm just cause he provides, a lot of different skills in a lot of different areas with a lot of different lineups, which is super valuable for a, you know, a combo guard, whatever you want to consider them. And then past that, probably George Hill and Nicola Miritich would be four and five. Um, But I would say Chris Middleton, clear leader, Brooke, Malcolm kind of flip flop them depending on your own preferences. And then the other guys we can kind of work around. Where about you, Kyle? Yeah, I would definitely have Middleton first. And it's not even the, he's the perfect secondary piece. It's just more who you're going to replace him with. And there still has not been a good answer that I have seen people provide. So because I'd rather pay Chris Middleton near the max than try and find a replacement that's significantly less skilled than him. Um, So he's number one. I actually had Brogdon as number two, just assuming. And I I was shocked about it as well. But it seems like, especially in the uh, Toronto series, he was vitally needed for when Eric Bledsoe was struggling. He he was one of the few players that seemed to consistently get shots and was a, shooting okay, um, especially in that. I think it was game three in the double overtime game. He was really good in that one. But I just think having him just be another ball handler, another player that can make shots and get to the rim is important. Um, I had Brooke Lopez third, but it's again, it's kind of the same thing with Riley. It's a very slim margin. It's just tough because I don't know how effective, like he was surprisingly healthy this year, but I don't know how long that's going to last. 
And it's just tough because I feel like you can get another player like Brook Lopez. Not saying that you can get someone better than him, but you can get someone like him. And if he starts commanding too much money, maybe you can turn around and find another shooting big like a Dwayne Dedman or even Al Horford at this rate and try and get them in, instead of Brook Lopez. And then I had George Hill fourth, not because I don't think he's a good player. It's just that he was great in the playoffs. He would be great to have on the team. But if you lose him, not the end of the world and Nicola Miritich, I think it's just it was clear that it wasn't going to work once that Toronto series happened. So just better to cut your losses. It was worth a shot. It was worth a gamble. I'd say nine out of 10 times you do that trade again. So Miritich was just my fifth choice. Okay. I was sorry. I'm looking something up here, but I, I was fascinated by, so Riley, you kind of have, uh, you feel like that like Brogdon and Brooke are sort of on a level playing field, but Kyle, you have Brooke just a little bit below Brogdon. Yeah. Not by much. Maybe it'd be like a couple, like tenths of a point, or I guess like on a scale, it'd be like Brogdon is a eight point five, and Brooke Lopez is an eight point three. I would say, kind of thinking about it, it's so difficult with Brooke because, like, this is the fallacy that you get into, right? When you're talking about the value of Brooke Lopez, like he does something that's so unique for a center that it, it is difficult. Like maybe you could find a reasonable facsimile for part of the cost, but you know, at how much are you losing in encore production just because of exactly who Brooke Lopez is with like his physical dimensions and how accomplished of a shooter he is and how well he works within the defensive scheme, which muddy, muddies the water a ton. It makes it difficult to kind of parse out like, he enables a lot of the way the Bucks played last season, but if he wasn't there, would Bud and Horst and everybody else be able to figure out some sort of system that functions with like maybe a five who isn't as good of a shooter, but is okay. Like that's, that's the question we're dealing with. And you kind of look into the abyss with it. Like it worked really well for one season and it probably would work really well next season as well. But it, I just find it really tough to find a good value for him. Like what is a proper amount of money to pay him? And you know, whether or not the Bucks will be able to actually afford his services again next season. I have an incredibly hard time with Brooke Lopez because I, I think you, you hit a lot of it right on the head there, Riley talking about how he seemed to sort of unlock this way that the Bucks were able to play. I almost like, I mean, look, Chris Middleton is a better player. He's more important, but I, I almost find like Brooke Lopez's, his, his integral, uh, very like marrying of his offensive and defensive skills, like almost might make him like more important to how the Bucks decide to play than Chris Middleton. I mean, it was weird that uh, basically Chris Middleton um, didn't really seem to fit into what Bud Coach Budenholzer wanted, right? Like it, we all thought that he was going to be like the perfect player for Bud. He's just going to be able to shoot stuff away, like fire away from three, improve his efficiency, and he certainly did that. He played better. But in the end, I mean, a lot of the chatter was that, like, basically Chris Middleton and Bud had to sort of uh, meet in the middle because they were butting heads over, like, how Chris Middleton should attack offensively. Whereas uh, Brooke Lopez was kind of, uh, I would say, a fulcrum defensively, particularly in terms of allowing Giannis to do the sort of stuff that he did as a, as a help defender, not have to guard the other teams. Like, the biggest player uh, showed, <clears throat> I would say, an incredible preternatural ability defensively to uh, keep guys in the mid range and like stay between them and show like just enough while also still getting back and blocking an incredible amount of shots at the rim. And then offensively, I think one thing that's kind of underrated about Brooke Lopez offensively is just his, his willingness to shoot. And maybe that's something that like any big man could do under bud if he taught them, but like 
we all saw that the Bucks just like basically gave Al Horford carte blanche to fire away uh, from deep in the playoffs. And uh, there, and I think it was Zach Lowe who was talking about it. Uh, but like the Bucks are betting that like Al Horford won't want to keep shooting from three. He'll like eventually balk. And like Brooke Lopez will not do that. He will absolutely does. He was, he, no matter what, even if he misses like eight shots in a row, he's going to still take another shot. And I, I feel like those sort of qualities are, I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to find that in any other center who's on the market. I'll, I'll just give you a few people here. Uh, Kyle, just like reading through a few people. So there's like, Vucevic, DeMarcus Cousins, Al Horford, obviously, you mentioned him, um, DeAndre Jordan, uh, Jonas Valanciunas, uh, Inez Cantor, um, Robin Lopez, they have Ed Davis lifted here, JaVale McGee, Dwayne Dedman. That's like, these are just like some of the top 14 or so people on Hoops Hypes uh, free agent centers this upcoming season. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh yeah maybe we can just get Robin Lopez to shave his head and then you know for a little bit cheaper he could come on in it's it that's what's so difficult about Brooke is like there are other guys in the league that kind of do what he does but he's like so uniquely far out ahead of the pack you might be convincing me live on the air right now Adam to switch Brooke Brooke to number two because it's it's so tough like. And we yeah. are, we do have to remember, like, we're just a few seasons removed from this guy being like one of the league's dominant interior guys. And he was a max player in New Jersey slash Brooklyn. And he was getting paid pretty well to play for the Lakers and was just kind of like misused there. Like, it was a total fluke that he ended up in Milwaukee on the deal that he did. And it's unfortunate for us as well because it restricts the ability, obviously, to bring him back at, you know, a reasonable amount without having to do a lot of different, you know, arithmetic to it but it, it it i do not envy horst and company whatsoever trying to balance all these different you know needs and wants and everything like that we talked about it even like you could see it coming halfway or even early in the season you're like god damn it there's going to be a lot of stuff to try and figure out like who do you bring back how do you figure it out? so i do not envy them at all and it will be a uh quite a task i'm sure yeah I, it and i mean as much as like i i do think i think I think Brooke is like squarely number two might even be like one, a one B with Chris Middleton for me. Um, you know, it, Malcolm Brogdon has like, it clearly has like a lot of suitors. He, it felt like, it feels like he has been at least, I, I mean, if they've mentioned him on the low post a couple times this last week, I think Zach Lowe mentioned um, just on the one with, uh, with Gaboni and Bobby Marks. He said that like the bucks are, you know, John Horst is like, you know, piling, backing up the Brinks trucks, like ready for other teams to offer Malcolm Brogdon, probably an offer sheet in the realm of 20 million. And it's sort of a question of what, at what number the bucks are going to balk. So uh, Kyle, like, how do you sort of square away this idea of this, this like really versatile player with some injury red flags who, like you said, was, you know, really important in the playoffs to this team um, suddenly vaulting up into like the level of like one of the higher paid two guards in the league. Yeah. And that's why when it was like, look, if the cap works out and you can bring everyone back, I had Brogdon as number two, but mm -hmm. if we have to consider the salaries, Ooh, I would maybe put Brogdon as low as four. Look, I don't know. It's, Ooh, just, it, it's because how can I really justify? Like, I guess the number I would say is anything over 15 million for four years from Malcolm Brogdon that's when I start getting a little anxious, a little hesitant to say, yes, bring him back. So that's, 
that's the weird part. It's just like he's a good player, but I mean, if it's anywhere close to twenty million, the Bucks have to balk at that. I it's one of those where it's kind of like Tyler Johnson over Miami. You you can keep him and have that contract, but the second he starts underperforming, that contract looks worse and worse and worse as the years go on, and then the value goes lower and lower and lower. So it's it's ugly though. <laughs> I mean, if if he if he gets paid twenty million, it's like. It, that's just it's, it's he's getting paid more than Eric Bledsoe. I mean, <laughs> right? Like it's so crazy to think right? about. Oh my god! Like it's it, I think it's absolutely like a little crazy to think about. That I mean, then it would like I still I still think Eric Bledsoe's thing is a good deal. I'm probably like like I have I know I perished on the Tony Snell Hill this past week. I'm probably gonna die on the Eric Bledsoe Hill. That just is that might Join be my the club. I'm just I just know I'm gonna stay on it. Um, there was, you know, I, it was tough to die on the Tony Snellhill this past week. I've loved him for years and, um, no longer, I won't like you as a part of the Pistons, but the, the, like amount of discussion that we could have about how to square all this stuff away, honestly feels like, like never ending. Uh, just thinking about the idea that like Malcolm Brogdon is going to be $20 million a year player. It seems kind of crazy to me, uh, but that like might be what the Bucks, if the Bucks hands are forced, that's what they'll do. I want to see somebody actually offer that kind of deal though. Like it's all well and good for Mark Cuban and the Mavericks to keep throwing all this. Cause it feels like to me, almost all of this is exclusively coming out of Dallas. And that's not just because some random dude who's a Cowboys expert broke a lot of bucks news this past week for whatever reason, but like part of the upside and it, you're right that 20 million a year for Malcolm does feel bordering on the ridiculous, even though I love Malcolm and obviously he should get paid as much as he's able to get just because this probably is one big deal. But I think the beauty, as long as the bucks don't bid against themselves and I really don't think they're even able to just because of the way that restricted free agency works, like just wait to see a team prove that they're willing to put that out there. Cause whatever team it is, they have to be content with Malcolm as being like the get and like they have to be convinced that he's going to be the guy that gets them over the top over the course of that three or four year contract because they're going to have to lock up or lock up their cap space for seventy two hours. We still have the right to match, et cetera, et cetera. So all these things are artificially should, in theory, kind of drive his value down. Plus the injury stuff, plus the like concerns about athleticism. He's like okay defender, but not a great defender. Like there's a whole bunch of different factors that could still put this value all over the place. So as ludicrous as it is kind of talking about it in theory, I'm not going to freak out until we actually see an um, offer sheet come across the line. Like, okay, wow, they're really going to give them 90 million or whatever, like $80 million over the fort coming season. Like that, that would just be madness to me, but I don't know. Maybe but Mark Cuban doesn't care about money. I was going to say, there are plenty of inept franchises that could do it like Chicago or Dallas or the Knicks in a panic buy or the Washington Wizards because no one's running that team at the moment. Like, there's enough franchises out there that could be dumb enough to do it. Like, they could decide, you know what, we don't care. We're going to throw this money at someone to make it to safe base or because they think this guy's going to be the one. So don't doubt the ineptitude of NBA franchises. But then it's like, go for it. What was that, Adam? Or they want to screw us. I mean, like, that's what the, isn't that what the Nets did, I think, with, like, Alan Crabb? They signed him to that offer sheet, screwed Portland out of that. I think Portland signed Inez Cantor to an offer sheet a couple of years ago and forced Oklahoma City's hand to to match it. Um, I don't know. I mean, we're like a pretty oh, close to the Kings well. now. Yeah. So, I mean, I could see a team potentially doing that to try and screw us over. 
Yeah, and it's it's triply difficult. Like I like I'm I appreciate that we're having this conversation because it's helping me like cement all the trouble because I've been kind of living in La La Land for the past couple months just with yeah. how good the season was. But <laughs> it's like it's triply difficult because Malcolm is again unique in that because the Bucks have his bird rights, like he's the only guy that we could go up and over the cap to bring back. So like all the incentive you're right is in other teams' hands to be like, here, we'll pay you four years, $150 billion. Like, <laughs> good luck, Bucks. Like, if, and if he walks, I mean, you're screwed. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, how do you, you kind of troll around and hope either Sterling kind of step up or you can kind of go by committee to fill or that's, that's what you go huge, for Boyan. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of Boyan minutes. He's going to be commanding a Malcolm Brogdon level uh, contract as well. So I don't know if we're in the market for him, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's, I don't know what the value to bring back Malcolm is. I think he has a lot of value or value. I think he does a lot of unique things that papers over, whether it be the starting lineup or the, you know, working with the subs or whatever it is. I think he's versatile. And so uh, I'm curious what the market will be. And I think the bucks will match no matter what it is, but it's, it's probably going to be a poison pill type contract that they're going to have to kind of go for. Yeah. What, what are you guys feelings on uh, Chris Middleton? I, I'm curious about this. I like, I want him back. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think we all would want him back. Uh, I'm honestly fine. Like paying him somewhere close to the max. I think that's just what he's, what he's probably going to get. But like, Kyle, what do you, what do you put our odds at to try and get him back? Are you like at like a 100% right now? I'm at a 95%. Okay. I feel like, Unless the Bucks really screw it up and give him a lowball offer that just pisses him off to the point where he's like, I'm not even going to bother negotiating with you guys. I think Milwaukee's going to offer him something close to the max. I think Chris Middleton would want to take it and say, and this was my feeling even before the Matt Velasquez article came out. So those two things combined between, because he's always said he wants to do what's best for his family. And I don't know if up and moving is the best thing for his family. I think his him being in Milwaukee for a while and maybe having that access to the healthcare that he might, I don't know where he would get anywhere else. He's kind of familiar with it and just showing. And I think his role on the team as well, I would say 95% likely that he stays and I want the bucks to sign him and I want them to pay as close to the max as they can, because again, who are you going to replace him with? That's better. And the answer is nobody. Yeah. I'm interested <sighs> because like the, the Pacers, we're one of these, it feels like he's sort of been linked to a couple teams now. I think like the, the Mavericks maybe. And then I think there was a, a, an article mid season, maybe by Zach Lowe saying the Pacers had some interest in him, which them like getting accepting TJ Warren's contract into cap space makes me think that they're probably definitely out of it. But where, where are you standing at it now, Riley? Yeah, you're right that like all the other teams, like it feels it's weird because Chris is not like the top tier free agents. I would say like he might command a max, but Again, you're looking at like, okay, how many teams are out there that have the space? Like maybe the Lakers now that they totally bungled the whole trade and like the cap space availability, unless they're able to get somebody to, you know, get a gentleman's agreement to wait around until the 30th of July for, you know, a full max or whatever it is. So maybe that would be a danger. But I tend to agree with Kyle that it just feels like the team and him as well. They've kind of already kind of prepared the grounds for some sort of agreement to come around. And what I'm most curious, maybe not so much that they'll come to an agreement because I believe they will, but I'm I'm curious what the years will look like. Like, mm. is he going to be looking for the full five years as much as he can get or like close to as much as he can get? Or is he 
maybe looking at it like, okay, we'll get paid over this contract and maybe he could do like a Paul George. I don't know if he would have reason to do something where like he gets a player option or the op- you know opportunity to kind of get out of it if you wanted to a little bit earlier to get one more payday. Um, so I think there's a lot of different factors that I, I, it's difficult to determine if he'll go for a full max, but I tend to believe he'll be back. And I tend to believe it'll be at a discount, but not nearly enough where like when you're looking at the top line numbers, you're like, wow, that's a really tangible amount less. Like it'll be just a couple million. I doubt anything more than that. Yeah, I tend to agree with that too. And I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll give him like a, they'll give him like a, if they, if he takes a little less money, they'll give him like a fifth year, if possible, at like a player option or something. Um, sort of. You're right, you're right though that I, I, didn't forget, but you are right that it was strange that him and Bud didn't seem to not get along, but they just had different philosophical, you know, ideas about how basketball should play be played or how they could fit in. And like, it was a little strange that we have this guy, like we've talked about for years, like Chris, you're this amazing three point shooter. Like you're an awesome shooter. And yes, you do a lot of mid range, but don't give into the Kobe brain and you could be a, just an astounding player. But it seems odd that he chose this season or like, you know, the way that the season was playing out and he still just couldn't really work it that well with bud. Like he had to be met halfway. Like you said, I find that a little bit strange and curious how that might affect his decision to come back or kind of, you know, where the negotiations would go. If there's still philosophical disagreements about how best he could be used as a new newly minted all-star and, you know, max free agent and all these different things. I, I think that's all very interesting as well. Yeah. I think it's fascinating, Kyle, the fact that like, Bud is Bud obviously has a rep as a guy who empowers his players. Uh, and you saw, felt like we didn't hear like any real issues from, Eric Bledsoe like this all year like it's not like the Bucks he was like conceding some sort of his type of offense to fit within what Bud wanted um I mean occasionally apparently like in the Houston games he like just did what he wanted though and over uh you know took what Bud wanted to do in terms of shading Harden one way and he like just set the whole tone for the defense in those games but it's interesting to think about that fact and then think about the fact that that like Riley was saying that Chris Middleton was, and both both Chris Middleton and Giannis were like the guys who kind of had to work their way into what it was that Bud might have wanted them to do. Yeah, and I think part of that is because with Jason Kidd, they Giannis and Chris were able to do whatever they liked, since there wasn't really an offense, offensive structure, or offensive game. Since plan. there was no coach, <laughs> <Not too. laughs> so because of those circumstances, it was easier for them to kind of freelance and do whatever they liked because they knew that they can kind of get away with it with kid while with Budenholzer, it's it's more of a this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and it's kind of just just straight to that point there's not really much room for improvisation i think Budenholzer was a little bit more lax as the season went on as the season went on and understood his players more and i think that will continue They'll still have their offensive scheme, the general scheme, but I think there are some audibles that Chris or Giannis could call if they feel like it's the best fit. I mean, we saw it with Budenholzer allowing Jan, not Giannis, uh, Chris to take more mid-range jumpers, and I think that kind of got Chris going a little bit. But I just think the familiar familiarity between the two is really going to help, and I think it's going to allow them to kind of have a give-and-go type of relationship with how they want to approach the offense. Well, and kind of doubling just one last quick point, I think there is value in having Chris there as this different look on offense because, you know, that we saw in the Toronto series and other parts, you know, whenever the Bucks struggle, it was just like, 
we have zero clue what else to do out here. Like, this is the system. Like, this is what we do. If it's not working, then it, we've got a problem. And Chris does provide value in that regard in that he gives you, even if it's just, like, really ugly ISO sets from, from the wing with, like, three dudes on them, like, in theory, he gives you a different option if things aren't working. Now, you also have to have Bud, who has to be willing to kind of go to that more often if things aren't working as originally planned. But I think that, too has a value all its own and part of why keeping Chris is so important because he's able to thrive in both ideally the way Bud would like him to play and in other forms as well, if necessary. Well, I said we wouldn't talk too long about it, but I think we had some excellent conversations there. Uh, wait, wait, to... one, one final thing. Yes. I know we kind of talked about George Hill and Nikola Mirotic. Do we have any further thoughts on those two guys? I know the top three are like the main core that we're talking about, but you know, do you have any, Strong feelings, Adam, on those two guys? Um, I, I'm fine with Miritich sort of getting kicked away. I mean, I, I think he probably is, is going to get an unfair rap in Milwaukee first time in Milwaukee. I mean, yeah, he didn't he didn't play well. He was just in a terrible, terrible slump and at the absolute, absolute worst time for him to go into it. But I think he's probably still a pretty quality player, and I, I think the gamble still was certainly worth it. George Hill, I mean, if there's a chance to get him back, I I, I don't think his value can be – understated just especially considering how important he was particularly in the playoffs when he had to fill in uh, some of the creation role that while Malcolm Brogdon was out uh, just having like a competent point guard to go in and, and have a little bit of playmaking uh, some good um, shooting he had a really down year shooting for three with the Bucks in the regular season last year so there's some regression uh, probably coming there for him next season so I, I would love it if he was like, yeah, I don't need to make much money. I'm just going to be a ring chaser now and decided to stay with the Bucks. Um, and I, I think it honestly would be kind of a pretty tough loss in the backcourt if, if he if the Bucks aren't able to find some crazy way to keep him. So I, I guess that's those are my closing thoughts on him. Tend to agree with both of those. Yeah, I don't see Mirtich coming back. Hill, I think, will come back. It's just a matter of do they kind of waive him, give him that $1 million, and then kind of rework a deal. I can see that happening. I don't see why Hill wouldn't at least be open to it. Um, and I think the Bucks would love to have him back. Agreed. Agreed. Well, we'll have a lot more answers in a week. And uh, we'll certainly be uh, be talking about that. And, and could be a really differently looking Bucks team next week. I, I think we all think it might be relatively similar to what we looked at this past season. But who knows? Uh, it's free agency. Anything can happen. Uh, and speaking of anything that can happen, I think it's time, guys. It's been a while, but it's time to return to our favorite segment. It's time for Dante's Inferno. The big this power, Dante. We can use it together. I think I can be a professional basketball player. And I want to start... Dante's Inferno with this absolute fire quote from John Horst saying that <laughs> it is, it is like three <laughs> paragraphs long. It is quite a doozy. Here we go. Look, I'm going to read the whole thing because I think it's important because we haven't gotten a lot of Dante content. So here we go. Quote. Oh, hat tip Eric name. And this was uh, from the pre draft presser that Horst gave. Um, so here we go. Dante's been in here every day. He's looking really good right now. He's definitely healthy. We're going to be really cautious with it. We're not going to push him out into summer league. 
I think summer league in some ways is to understand what guys can and can't do or to give them different opportunities that they haven't seen. Dante was pretty good for us last year when he was healthy. So I don't know about the evaluation piece of it. I do think Sterling Brown and DJ are going to play. That's more about understanding what their roles are going to continue to be on our team and continue to put them in those situations where they can be more of the guy, more of the facilitator, more of the playmakers. So I think those guys are going to play a little bit on our summer league team. And Dante, I think, will be kind of a game time decision. But he's doing really well. And guys, what John Horst is saying is that Dante is too good for summer league. Am I right? <laughs> Basically. And Sterling and DJ are total scrubs compared <laughs> to him. <laughs> I couldn't believe that quote when I saw it. I, I mean, it's it's a useful excuse if if they're unsure about Dante's health at this point. Um, even though uh, one line in there points to a little something a little bit different, maybe where he says um, he's definitely healthy. Yeah, that uh, that was the fact that that was sentence number two, and it was so <laughs> deliberate. Definitely, definitely making me pause just a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, I was kind of like what you didn't have to say he's definitely healthy. Like I wasn't doubting he was going to be healthy or he was recovering. You didn't need to throw that in there, horse. It reads like a hostage quote. Like, <laughs> like, like he is definitely okay. He's definitely healthy. Also, I mean, okay. I think we can all agree. Maybe, maybe we don't all agree, but I think for sure Dante is not healthy if he's not going <laughs> And also, even if he was healthy, what the hell did he prove last year? Like, he did oh. stuff. We all, we all, well, okay. He so we all stuff. like Dante. We all know he can do stuff. He <laughs> shot 10% from three, it felt like. <laughs> and like, there's just, again, he did stuff that was great, but he played like, here, how many games did he play? 40? Wasn't even, no, it was 27 games. Come on, Horst. We're not stupid. Come on, man. <laughs> he hasn't proved anything. Clearly, he's not healthy. Clearly, he was not shooting as well as we expected. Yes, he could do stuff, but I think the audacity of that quote is, I mean, Horst's nose had to have been 30 feet long after he was done saying that. Like, come on, Pinocchio, let's go. Uh, <laughs> And that's all I got to say about Dante. (laughs) It's just, what did he prove? Like everything from top to bottom was just really strange. And I think, I feel like it's got to be some smoke screen in case they're trying to get Dante moved out. Like that. No, right. Not. Well, I know, I know it hurts. (laughs) Doesn't DJ's Inferno sound just as good though? No, no. I was legitimately thinking about buying the DiVincenzo jersey just to eat all the crow. <laughs> the yellow one. I wanted to get the yellow <laughs> DiVincenzo jersey with the shorts uh, just just to show that I've changed from the draft uh, post-draft pod last year. Um, uh, man. Yeah, Kyle, I mean, what do you think is going on? I mean, look, all right, we're not a doctor, but I think it's time uh, to talk about like how he had a really weird rookie year where he had that – groin or hamstring issue that kept him out um for part of summer league i thought or like he had to pack it in early uh and then uh during the season he had that heel bursitis sat out for a long time came back for only like what was it a week week and a half and then they just shut him down again uh and then he's still out now i mean from everything i could tell with this issue it's typically like a three to four month recovery at least based on the little stuff that i read but uh i mean now it kind of seems like it might be just be a chronic thing with him I, i I think it was more he never fully recovered when he got back. Because if you think about it, when he came back, the team was kind of low on point guards. I think Brogdon was out. George Hill was out. There wasn't – I mean, hell, they were relying on Tim Frazier and 
Trayvon Duvall at points to be like the backup point guard. So I think he was never fully healthy is my guess, at least with the heel injury. The groin just seemed like that was a weird muscle thing. Maybe he just wasn't used to the intensity of the NBA season, even if it was summer league. But I, I think he's – I'm a little concerned about the heel, but at the same time, I'm going to chalk it up to he was never fully healthy when he came back. And then when the team started getting healthier again, they decided to shut him down And because Budenholzer didn't think he was going to play in the playoffs at all. So why bother having him you know, practice and go through all this stuff and have him sit on the bench when he can just we can shut him down, let him rehab at his own pace, and then you still have the offseason. <sighs> but I'm also it's not sad. a doctor, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad. I mean, especially just to, based on our last conversation, if Malcolm Brogdon does walk, I mean, it's like our wing rotation is basically now Dante DiVincenzo, Pat Conton, and Sterling Brown. So um, he could have a far more outsized role than he had last year, even though he started last year as the first guy off the bench, right? Yeah, he got he like had a pretty big role right from the get-go, and I think that was partially Bud trying to like – you know, because there was a lot of scuttlebutt, quote unquote, about uh, him being or Dante being a butt pick. So I think it was like, well, we're just going to make it work. Like, I don't know. This kind of felt hubristic that he got that many minutes right from the get go. Oh, that is something I didn't miss uh, this year is deciding whether the coach or the GM made the selection. Uh, since that's been like every Bucks draft selection for the past, like, however many years, besides maybe the Wilson pick. Yeah, uh, I mean. I don't know. I hated the Dante pick from the get go. And then it's just, it's, you're right that he had a really weird season. And like, (laughs) I'm not going to go on the record and say I'm out on Dante right now because I think it would be too premature. But like, if he's not shooting well, uh, I'm not sure how much other value he brings. Like, if this is a chronic issue, the way that he played last year, like it seemed every rebound one, he was the only guy who went for offensive rebounds. And two, when he did, he almost died every single time. Like he, he did not care how many dudes were beneath him, how many dudes were in the way he was going to sky up. And even if he like broke his arm in half, he was going to try and get the rebound, which was admirable, but probably not conducive for a heel that was freaking torn in half. And it's just, I, I agree, like, the ideal of Dante, which I have no freaking clue what the hell that is. Like, it's just a shooting guy who does a lot of other stuff. Like, that's valuable, but will he ever get there? I have no idea. And will he get there quick enough to be a big contributor next season after essentially what was a lost rookie year? I don't know. And if he's not going to play any sort, sort of summer league, does that mean he's actually healthy? I'm going to guess no, but maybe maybe he is. But what does that mean? It's just it's there's a lot of a lot of murkiness around Dante right now. And I don't know if it's smokescreen for moving him somewhere else as part of a trade or there's just actually genuinely like maybe like you said, Kyle, maybe they messed up the rehab earlier and now they just want to they really want to get it, nail it down tight. So he's ready for next season. So I, I don't know what to make of it. I'm not going to say I'm out on him, but uh, definitely not uh, auspicious circumstances right now. Well, when you're in the inferno, a smoke screen is something you'll probably. Encounter. Yeah. That's uh, what you expect. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That was a hell of a transition. And all I have to say is that John Horst gets the last word on the matter. Quote, he's definitely healthy. <laughs> Remember that folks. Hey, Adam, you got yeah, you got to get that one. If if you don't get the Dante jersey, just get a custom jersey that says he's definitely, <laughs> definitely healthy, healthy on the back. 
<laughs> oh, oh goodness man, okay great well let's talk really briefly about this uh te- crappy summer league team the bucks are gonna field uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> we've got, how dare you sir dude, come I on mean, okay well think of last year like i think one of the few reasons it was watchable dj wilson looked like absolute garbage christian wood <laughs> basically made it watchable if, if, if anyone else remembers this christian wood and sterling brown and dante never making a shot um but i mean it was basically sterling brown and christian wood christian wood is now um, with the Pellies. Uh, so basically the roster that we have so far is DJ Wilson and Sterling Brown, both likely playing per Horst. Third year players don't typically play in summer league. Maybe second round picks, but it feels like the, but like, like a first round pick like Wilson, I don't know if they typically play in summer league. Does it, does that track for you guys? I do not think so, but I think there's probably a stigma around that, and I am totally like against that stigma. Like I, I do not mind whatsoever. Now, this is that part of Horst's gigantic diatribe about DJ and Dante and Sterling. I believe in that they want those two guys to have a bigger role and mm-hmm. uh, have experience, kind of whether it be running the offense or having like a a bigger load on the offensive or defensive end. So I totally get it. I don't mind it whatsoever. I don't look at it like as an indictment on those two guys, because I think, I mean, DJ, maybe you could still have questions like, mm, maybe you probably could go to summer league for a third year. But I think Sterling over his rookie in the second year, he kind of showed that he has, you know, he's putting it together and I, I don't mind them going whatsoever, but I do believe you are correct in that third round or third year players going to summer league again is definitely a bit uh, outside the park, but we have like two other dudes on the roster, so I understand. Yeah, I was going to say, who else are you going to put on the Summer League roster that is on the Bucks besides those two and maybe Bonzi? Yeah, it, it, it's it's tough. So here's the I'll run through the rest and I'll, I'll kick it to you, Kyle, to see who the guy that you're most intrigued with just based on um, the scouting we've all clearly done to prep for this podcast. So Fletcher <laughs> McGee, Wofford Sharpshooter, all time three point NCAA leader, notable for. Um, I believe I read one tweet that said against upper level competition, he shot like 22% or something from three. Don't quote me. And he missed like every single jumper in their NCAA tournament game. Uh, Dalton Holmes, who just tweeted out like a weird 3d render of his face. And <laughs> it was really it. strange. It was, it was really, really odd, but it's apparently like the D two player of the year, like six, eight forward. I don't know. Rajon Tucker. I watched one tweet. He dunked over two people. Uh, Matt Farrell, he played with Rashad Vaughn with the Delaware Blue Coats last year. That's intriguing. Um, Thanasis Antetokounmpo, related to Giannis. Luke May, played at UNC. I'm conf- just, I honestly could only think of Sean May, the old UNC forward that beat the Badgers in the 05 tournament. Uh, I think Bonzi Colson might be on the roster. I don't know if we have that confirmed yet, but um, any of those guys stick out to you, Kyle? Um, well, Luke may looks like a dude that isn't that good. Like <laughs> he looked like a dude. I remember when North Carolina won a title, Luke may was just like killing everyone. I was like, who is this? Dude? He doesn't look like someone that just like walks on the court is dominating at North Carolina. Like he would be someone that I expect to dominate at like a big 10 school or maybe even like a mid-level big 12. Like he's just like this dude with like his beard. I was like, I don't believe you're an actual college player. What is this? Dude, he definitely looks more like a pizza delivery guy than a basketball <laughs> player. That's 100% facts. You're so right, Kyle. If he played hockey or baseball, I would believe that more than if he played <laughs> basketball. Uh, so, wow, that's... going to be interesting. <laughs> but oh. um, 
I'm kind of interested in Dalton Holmes, uh, not just for the 3D render, but <laughs> he seems like you know a D2 player of the year, can shoot the ball. I'm curious to see what more there is to him. Like Fletcher McGee, I think we all know who he is. He's a Wofford shot, sharpshooter. If he hits shots, great. If he doesn't hit shots, he's not good. Um, I don't know <laughs> about someone that could dunk over two people. I'm still got <laughs> Joe Alexander um, issues that are. Oh, did you guys see? Did you see that Joe Alexander? The rumor mill that he's back in Milwaukee and he's going to be part of the summer league team as well. Yeah, yeah. that team's going <laughs> to really cool. <laughs> okay, well, I just figured I'd toss that in there. Yeah, so that's going to be someone else. But yeah, I guess Dalton Holmes was my pick. Uh, but Luke Mays, I'm just going to sit there and be like, "How are you still here? You should have. You should not. I don't know how you're here. And how good are you, Riley? Do you care about Thanasis being on the team at all? I was gonna. I was gonna say the most interesting to me is the wide out in the open nepotism going on with Thanasis. Like, I don't mind, but. If he, I would be shocked if he's not going to be like the number two off or like option on offense, or maybe even the number one, just to like give him a lot of shine and do a solid for Giannis. Like that's, I totally, I mean, obviously that's what's going on here right now. Like it doesn't really interest me. I am super duper skeptical and do not believe he will end up with the Bucks organization. I think it's just doing a solid for him. So, uh, He's interesting only insofar as I'm curious how much shine he's going to get versus all these other guys. Like, do any of those guys have a realistic chance of making the roster? If not, is it just going to be the Thanasis show with some DJ cameos? Like, that's that's a wrench in the whole thing. Otherwise, the other guys you kind of talked about, uh, Rajon Tucker kind of sort of, I like you said, there's the dunking, but he, he's like an undersized guy who's really explosive and athletic, which, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of a blank slate that you can imagine him doing all sorts of different things at the NBA level, but maybe just if any of these guys prove good enough to have a two-way contract, that would be great. Otherwise I do not expect any of them to stick around any further than the summer league. I'm interested to see who the new coach will be. Taylor Jenkins was the coach last year. <clears throat> of course, he's now with Memphis. Um, hopefully we'll wish him best of luck down there. Got pretty sweet players in the draft. Actually, I was really jealous. That's probably gonna be a fun league pass team. And then, uh, yeah, we'll have to see who else rounds out the roster. I am betting my money on a Wisconsin Badger legend who would be a perfect fit. Khalil Iverson is not a perfect fit, Adam. (laughs) Give it up. Russell Wilson cannot be a three-sport player, okay? He's already got baseball and basketball. Get over it. Hillary Knight is too good at hockey to give up a career to play basketball, okay? Here's all I'm saying. As I was going through the archives of Buck Summer League teams, I was reminded that Mike Bruzowitz, the redheaded ginger who really has has no business even playing uh, sniffing. Speaking of guys that does look like they should be good at basketball, <laughs> <laughs> we have the mold the already. It's going to be Ethan Happ, and it's going to every time he scores a basket, I'm going to just tweet at Riley um, about how good Ethan Happ is and how he's just a clear guy who can succeed in the big leagues now. He yeah, there's the only one slight problem with that. Hmm. Ethan Happ signed with the Chicago Bulls summer league squad. Wait, when? Oh, um, this no. happened literally. It was reported on Madison.com eleven hours ago. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I put the outline together on Saturday, so I don't oh. think that's going to happen. So again, Khalil Iverson is not an option. This is this is horrific news for me. Uh, 
Well, I this guess I'll be watching the greatest day of my life. My I guess I'll be watching the Chicago Bulls summer league team. Riley, you say that now, and if the Bucks play the Chicago Bulls in summer league, and Ethan half drops like twenty and ten, you're gonna hate every moment of it. Well, <sighs> I'm gonna hate every moment on social media where dudes from Northern Idaho is like, "Dude, freaking love Wisconsin, bro! You got to get Ethan on the squad. He's got the perfect post game. Come on, man." <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well then, if Mike Bruzewitz is still playing, I think he might fit on the team. Uh, bring him back. Sometimes they bring back those like thirty-five-year-old people to play in summer league. Those are always fun. I'll be honest; I'm genuinely shocked the team doesn't do more pandering to like UW, Green Bay, like Milwaukee dudes, Madison. Like, I'm I'm shocked that hasn't already happened. Like, if it was still the Cole era, I'm sure that would be full blown. Like, <laughs> it would be just the all the Wisconsin D one D two All Stars is what it would be like undrafted All Stars. Would be the summer league team. <laughs> oh. And you know what? They perform just as well as the team always has, which is win one game every year and then just look awful the rest of the time. That's what I was going to say. They're going to win one game and and that's it. Win a game. <laughs> well, <Nice>. they. <clears throat> Sorry, no, I was just going to say the schedule real quick. We can tune into those that, the, that awful team. Uh, July 5th, starting against Philly at 2 30 Central. July 6th, Atlanta, 4 o'clock Central. July 8th, they're facing Toronto at 7 Central. And we're facing China, the country what? of China, on July 10th at 10 Central. I am not watching that. No, no. <laughs> you cannot pay me enough to tweet that game. No. <laughs> yeah, we're probably going to get freaking clowned on by China, guaranteed. It's going to be it's gonna be some Cold War-ish up in this. It's going to be... <laughs> okay. I, wonder I don't know what you're talking team. about. Based off of my findings in Juneau, Alaska, we're pretty close with Russia, so we might <laughs> be able to work it out with China. It's true. It's true. Okay, I'm trying to figure out if it'll say who the rosters are yet. Well, here's the thing. While you're looking that up, I, yeah. I think really the key to how far this team goes is whether or not Travis Trice is here for the 30th year in a row. Um, I think everything revolves around his presence, and uh, I mean, I'm curious if there are going to be any other holdovers because it feels like the past couple, at least the like past two seasons. The summer league teams have been a lot of the same guys. Like Jordan Barnett was there a couple of years. Uh, like, and how much of it is Wisconsin herd guys that are going there? Like, there's a lot of different factors that I'm not sure how many other dudes we're going to add besides who we've already heard. Yeah, who aren't already that, in the organization. That is. Yeah, that make you you make a good point. Um, I guess I'm interested to see if Ejian Leon plays on Team China. Uh, <laughs> Gets his be- final revenge, puts up sixty and thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely beast DJ Wilson. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. If Joe Alexander plays and those two go up against one another, won't that that that's like appointment viewing? No. The world might <laughs> the world might collapse in on itself if that happens. I'm we staying have to off of Twitter that. if that happens. <laughs> oh, I've been doing pretty well at having a Twitter hiatus from the Milwaukee Bucks and anything basketball related for some time. I might have to continue that if EGI Leon is facing <laughs> Joe Alexander in a summer league game. Uh, oh i feel like this is a productive podcast we got a lot done <laughs> yeah yeah we really covered all our bases here all right well <clears throat> any i don't know anything else to add for uh before we go away uh nope i would just have an appeal to everybody no matter who gets paid what next week try not to kill each other online we are uh all just basketball fans at the end of the day and even if chris middleton is making a lot of money it's not the end of the world we'll figure it out it's also not our money that too. Yep. Remember that it's, it's our billionaire money, not our money. Well, that'll about do it. So with that plead for 
um, civility next week. Uh, appreciate that, Riley. And um, thank you to everyone who always listened to us. Uh, appreciate Hope you didn't mind the hiatus. I think we were all sort of ready. It felt like Buck's Twitter and everyone was sort of ready for a brief break after that tough loss. But uh, we'll be back sporadically. We'll probably talk after free agency, check in on Summer League, and then we'll probably take a little longer hiatus. But um, thanks, as always, for listening. We're always looking for feedback, too. I think we're all going to be talking about this this summer, maybe have a slightly revamped show for next season. Um, same host, but we might try and do little stuff a little differently. But um, thanks, as always, for listening, and uh, talk to you again soon. On the streets of old Milwaukee Was a young boy walking